0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, everyone. Greetings from Battelle, UK. I want to thank you for your continued prayers for Celine and I, and uh, we we feel encouraged by that. And I want you to know we're just longing to to be back uh, home with you all. So, it's a pleasure to join you this morning via live stream, and today is Palm Sunday. And that's traditionally the beginning of Holy Week, and one thing is for sure that this is a a kind of Holy Week unlike anything we've ever experienced before. But I want us to remember this morning that the church isn't closed, just a few buildings. We are the church. We are what the New Testament calls the called out ones. And so our question this morning is, how do we grow in Christ-likeness through this experience? We're going to read from the Gospel of Luke and reflect on the moments immediately following Jesus' crucifixion. And what we're going to see is the importance of three things, lamentation, perseverance, and rest. So let's read from Luke chapter 23, starting from verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now I want to start by asking, what must the disciples have felt like on that Saturday. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that day between. It must have felt like the cause was utterly lost. Everything they'd placed their trust in and worked for for the last three years was gone. Their Messiah was dead. And not only that, but the, it must have felt like everything that they'd achieved in their own characters was lost. The disciples themselves were an utter failure, and even Peter, Jesus' top protege, had completely turned his back on him when he needed him most. And I think even more than all that, it must have seemed that God himself had failed. How could Jesus be crucified? How could the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One, die? How could God allow this? So the disciples were in a very unsure place. They were in the in-between time, the time when they had no idea what God was doing, and it seemed like everything had been lost. That time between the horror of the crucifixion and the joy of the resurrection, where God's plan was a complete mystery. This is what I call the Saturday experience. It's an experience that describes the reality that we find ourselves in. And I'm not just talking about times of crisis like this, although that's true, of course, but I'm talking in general. This is the reality of the world that we live in. We live in the in-between time. We inhabit the now and the not yet, where Jesus has established his kingdom. It's begun. it's, it's, It's extending. Victory is assured. But the shadows are still all around us. And we and all the creation are awaiting his return the completion of his plan, the destruction of evil. And it's times like these especially that remind us Saturday is the shadow land between the cross and the resurrection. So again, we ask, how do we grow in Christlikeness through this? Well, the first thing to notice in our passage is that after Jesus' death, right in that moment of loss and pain and horror, the first and proper thing to do was to bury him. Now, that might seem obvious, but what that took on the part of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who we know was with him, was a recognition of a difficult reality and a healthy grieving of that reality. And what this raises first for us here is that Saturday is a day of lamentation. Ernest Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, wrote, The irony of man's condition is that the deepest need is to be free of the anxiety of death. But it is life itself which awakens it. And so we must shrink from being fully alive. Modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness. Or he spends his time shopping, which is the same thing. Modern life is designed, I think, more than anything to deny and avoid the reality of death. And influenced by that, I think the culture of the modern church often leads us into the same denial, where we refuse to acknowledge and deal with our loss, our disappointment, our uncomfortable, messy emotions like anger and sadness, and we do it and call it faith. But pain and suffering is a fact that every worldview must confront. Every worldview must provide an answer for. And the Christian worldview, rooted in Scripture, it doesn't deny it, it doesn't sidestep it. It affirms the reality of evil and suffering, and it faces it head on. And rather than offering the empty cliches that we offer each other a lot of times, the Bible gives us a model of dealing honestly with our pain. If you think about it, Two-thirds of the psalms are laments, expressions of deep grief and complaint to God. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. And not only do God's people grieve, but we read that God the Father grieves over sin. Jesus weeps over Lazarus. And the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. And it's on this Saturday... The in-between day that some church traditions call Black Saturday, that the church remembers Jesus' burial. As the Apostle Creed says, the, the, the Apostles' Creed says he descended to the dead. Joseph and Nicodemus buried him. The women prepared the spices and the ointments to honor him. They faced that difficult reality and they grieved it. Peter Schizero, who wrote the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, uh, he says that the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. And that course that we've begun offering recently, it's all about the fact that spiritual maturity is inseparable from emotional maturity. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's the tagline of the course. And one of the essential steps in growing into emotional adulthood is our ability to honestly process grief. And so the truth is that grief and loss, they're not a foreign imposition into our our lives. They actually present us with an opportunity to grow in Christlikeness. That's why Romans 8 says that we're to suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him. Every opportunity to grow emotionally is also, therefore, an opportunity to grow spiritually in Christ-likeness. Why? Because Jesus was completely emotionally whole and mature. And so, Saturday is a day of lament. But the second, the second thing we see in this passage is that Saturday is a day of perseverance. The Saturday experience is one which takes us beyond the predictable, beyond the comfortable. We're left feeling disoriented and helpless. We're we're left feeling abandoned in dangerous territory. And we feel alone with our questions. But it's in that place that two things are formed for those who persevere. Community and character. Character. So first of all, whenever a group of people are thrown into radically new circumstances, they're forced to either perish or band together. And for those who survive, what comes out of that is a deep bond of community. Just think of virtually any action or adventure movie. It always begins with a group of unlikely companions who are thrown into dangerous situations and they're forced to work together to survive. And what happens along the way, is that they develop a bond that could only have come through that experience. This is why events in life like 9-11 had the effect of bringing the nation together. And it's why the church has often thrived in times of persecution. And one of the things I'm praying is that, as a result of this pandemic, we would see a renewed bond of community within the church a renewed bond centered around our common mission, which is not our self-preservation. It's the spreading of the gospel. It's the multiplication of disciples. But that need for perseverance isn't only for particular times of crisis like like we're in now. It's actually the normative state of the church. Because even though we're children of light, the reality is we live in the shadowlands. We're forced to wrestle with our questions. But it's precisely in wrestling through those questions that our character gets shaped. And so that's the second thing. Jesus, you know, was a man of deep questions. There's 307 questions of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels. I want to take a minute just to read you a small selection of them. This will just take a couple minutes. But I want you to close your eyes and just let these soak over you. Why are you so afraid? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why did you doubt? Do you still not understand? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do you say I am? What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul. How long shall I put up with you? What is it you want? What do you want me to do for you? What do you think? Have you never read in the scriptures? Why are you trying to trap me What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you thinking these things? Do you still have no faith? What is your name? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Do you still not understand? Do you see anything? What were you arguing about on the road? Why do you call me good? What do you want me to do for you? Are you asleep? Why were you searching for me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Where is your faith? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why are you sleeping? What do you want? Will you give me a drink? Do you want to get well? Does this offend you? You do not want to leave also, do you? Have I not chosen you? Why are you trying to kill me? Why are my words not clear to you? If I am telling the truth, why do you strike me? Do you believe this? Do you understand what I have done for you? Don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? Who is it you want? Is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Why question me? If I've spoken the truth, why did you not believe me? Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Do you love me? Now, that is just a selection of the questions that Jesus asked. I don't know about you, but those questions just penetrate my soul. If you honestly wrestle with those questions, your character is going to be shaped. N.T. Wright wrote an article recently in Time magazine about the, the virus, and the title was Christianity Offers No Answers About the Coronavirus. It's not supposed to. It's a reminder that not all our questions will be put to rest. When you read the Gospels, Jesus is asked 183 questions, and you know how many he answers directly? Three. To the rest, he usually responds with a question in response. And so I believe God puts us in the Saturday experience so that we'll turn to him so that we can have relationship with him, so that we can converse, so that we can rely on him. And Jesus wants us to wrestle with those questions. He's not the kind of teacher that spoon feeds easy, easy to digest answers, but he leaves us to wrestle with the questions for ourselves. Because it's when we persevere through those questions, through that place of mystery, that we're shaped C.S. Lewis described this in the Screwtape Letters, which is written as a series of letters between a senior demon called Screwtape and his junior protege called Wormwood. And he says this, He, that, that's God, He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away His hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, He is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. And I love in our passage in Luke that it says the women, even after the crucifixion, the women who'd followed him from Galilee continued to follow to where he was buried. And I think in our Saturday, what's so, what's so important is to continue to follow, to persevere, to wrestle with those questions, to continue to obey even when we don't understand. Why? Because he's given us reason to trust him. And when you do that, your character will be shaped and community will be formed between us. Just as Jesus was launched into his ministry by that time in the wilderness, the church was launched into the world through passing through Jesus's cross and his death. And so Saturday is the day of perseverance. But now the third thing is is almost paradoxical because what we see in this passage is that Saturday is a day of rest. The passage ends by simply telling us that on the in-between day, the disciples rested. So, even though it's a day to face loss, to persevere through the questions, the in between day is holy. It's a Sabbath day, it's a day set apart for the Lord where we're commanded to rest. Why rest? A more common response to loss is just to get busy with something, get your mind off it, distract yourself with work or, or occupy your mind with, with entertainment. But the Sabbath is not a day of occupation. It's a day of cessation. And the reason is to teach us that God's work is at the center, not ours. So I want to encourage you to treat this time that we're in right now as a Sabbath to the Lord. Many of us are forced to drop our work, drop our activity. that's true, it's a time to learn how to rest. Learning Sabbath rest, I think, brings two things for us in this time freedom and hope. First of all, there's a freedom in knowing that God's work is at the center, not ours. You know, Jesus faced a lot of controversy about the Sabbath through his ministry. And what's interesting is that we know from the other Gospels that it was the Pharisees, the ones who gave him such a hard time about it, the very ones who'd gotten their way in the crucifixion, they're the ones that on that following Sabbath, actually broke their law and traveled to the Gentile ruler's palace and put guards at the tomb. Now, what I think is going on there is it's the religious mindset that's all about doing the right things to secure a certain outcome from God. But religiously working for God to secure his blessing, it ends up being this crushing slavery. Slavery. Why? Because you can never do enough, and and it forces you into hypocrisy. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us rest from all that because he's done the work for us. So in him, even that in-between day is a day of rest. It's a day of ceasing our work, ceasing our worry and anxiety because we know that God has done the work, and he continues to work even in our rest, even especially through our weakness. God's action is central to the gospel, not ours. God's action is central to history, not ours. And so we're not called to ensure a certain outcome. Our call is to faithfulness. And it's in faithfulness that we get the second fruit of our rest, which is hope. Because in Christ— Saturday is actually Easter's Eve. The Christian worldview on suffering offers an absolutely unique balance between reality and hope. You can't find it anywhere else. It faces the reality of suffering head-on, even while many others try to deny it or explain it away. And yet, on the other hand, it offers an absolutely unique hope. That's not just positive thinking, it's not just wishfulness, it is the flesh and blood reality of the resurrected Jesus, the one who's conquered sin and death in his body. And that's why First Peter calls it a living hope. Therefore, our Saturday is simultaneously a day of lament. It's a day for grieving the suffering of the world. It's a day for persevering, knowing that our character and community will be shaped through it. And thirdly, it's a day of rest in that living hope Of what God has promised to do on Sunday. And so I'd like to invite you now, if you have not put your hope in Jesus, you can commit yourself to him right now. You can begin that journey with him today because the Bible says that if you confess your mouth, confess with your mouth, confess confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, I'd like to lead you in a prayer of confession and commitment. You can just bow your head and, and close your eyes with me and pray this, this prayer. Lord Jesus, I accept that you are the true Lord of my life. Forgive me for trying to run my own life and all the ways that I've disobeyed you and walked away from you. I believe that you died for me on the cross. You died so that I could be forgiven. Jesus, today I commit my life to you. I commit myself to following you for the rest of my days. Holy Spirit, come and give me a new heart. Change me from the inside out. Amen.